So, everywhere we go, God is with us. But it doesn't always feel like it. In fact, too much of the time it feels like God is nowhere to be found. And if you think about it at all, in order for us to grow in our Christian life, you got to go. You can't grow if you won't go. And I thought it was interesting was I was looking for an acronym to work with that GR was the place to go and to grow. This is the place that God has you in your life right now. You argue with God. I argue with God. Again, last night, my wife and I both woke up at 1.30 in the morning, and I, I could hear her wrestling um, with, the, with the covers, and I said, what's up? I'm okay. I just can't sleep. Neither can I. Because listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just about filling a bunch of empty chairs to entertain this morning. This is about life and death. It is truly about life and death about not growing because we're not going, about not knowing which way to go. And when I think of people like that, I'm reminded of the prophet Jonah. As I've preached on this text many times, but this week I think I actually grasped it more than ever before, that you can't grow if you're not obedient to God. He says it in the Old Testament that obedience is better than sacrifice. He's not interested in how many times you go to church. He's not interested in how much money you give to the church. He's not interested in your silliness this morning, thinking that you have something to offer God, and he's really blessed to get me. That doesn't work. We are totally blessed to have him. The reason why I showed the clip this morning was because that was the text that I preached last week, and on Monday morning, Moses sends me this and says, I would have almost swore that you plagiarized this message. I'd never heard him preach before. I'd never heard that message. It was perfect. It's probably one of the biggest discouragements is this as a pastor. There's always someone offended. Always. If you know anything about ministry, there's always somebody offended and they're off to the next place. And they use the lamest excuses like, we're okay, we just want to go to church closer to home, and they only live five minutes away. Of course, in this city, it's possible to go to a church closer than home to home in five minutes. You know what I'm saying? It's it's because we do not want. To obey God and going actually costs us something. To go to church actually costs you something. You had to get up and get your clothes on and, and get ready and go to church. And, and you're thinking, I, oh, God, please don't make him talk a long time today. He can just go on and on and on. I have something to say today. I'm not going to read the whole text, but if you looked at the book of Jonah, you would find out that you could do a simple read of the whole book in 15 minutes. When I went to bed last night, I said to Becky, I'm really excited about tomorrow's message because this is the message for someone tomorrow. Someone who is making a decision about whether they should do something or not do that. 
about what direction they should actually go with their life. And the simple, quick journey with Jonah pretty much says it all. See, the book is not about Jonah, even though he was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II, who was not really a good king, but he reigned for 41 years in northern Israel. And this is where Jonah served as the prophet under Jeroboam II. And Jonah had to be thinking back to who was the prophet under the previous Jeroboam, the first, and exactly what happened to him. Because if we don't learn from history, we never learn from history. Yes, 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 yes. Every decision you make has consequences. And the previous prophet under Jeroboam, the first, who was not a very good king either, was killed. Jeroboam sent a lion in because he didn't like the prophet, the prophecies that he was giving. And God was disappointed that, that the previous prophet did not do what he was asked to do, and so God let him be taken out. Do you know there are actually times when God actually says it would be better if you would be taken out than living the life that you're living? The story is not about Jonah, though. It's about God. The fish is actually only mentioned four times. The city is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. And God is mentioned 38 times in this short little book that can be read in 15 minutes today when you go home. Jonah's not the hero of the story. God is. You realize this? We live in a culture of runners. My biggest fear these days is this. Everyone is constantly on the run to the quick fix. We don't like that church anymore. We're going somewhere else. I'm not happy in my marriage. I don't even know why, but I'm, I'm off to, I need a more exciting relationship. I don't like my job. I don't like what I do. And there's plenty of jobs out there, so let me just go find another job. It's this unsettledness in our culture. I read this week, and I shared this with Praise Van, that in a survey recently taken of millennials, that they believe that we as Christians, and this was taken among Christian millennials, that they believe that we as Christians should not share our faith with other people. It's offensive. You know what's offensive to me? Anything that violates the Constitution of the United States of America and anything that violates the Word of God is offensive. And in order to be politically correct, I am forced into a mold of only preaching what is safe for fear that the whole church will be shut down by someone. It's insane today. The number of people that are running from the truth. The truth actually sets you free instead of binding you. And I can make you a promise. I can have this. I can have this argument with my own older daughter. Going to church is God's plan, not mine, and not yours. It is his plan. He ordained the New Testament local church so that you would go and it would literally change your life and you would change the world. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to see how many people actually signed a card because we don't want to commit to anything. Nothing. 
Not our marriages, not our kids, not our families, not our parents, not to school, not to church, not to anything. I'm just going to quit and I'll be fine. I can make plenty of money if I don't finish my schooling. Jonah's a real story. It's a true story. You have to understand that because if you read the book of Jonah and you start reading commentators and what they say about the book of Jonah, you're going to find this very quickly. Many of them say it's just a big fish story. They say that scripture contradicts itself because whales are not fish. And so I, I think we need to make this clear right off the beginning here from the start. No, I won't go six and a half hours. If God's word says it, it's true. Whether you can scientifically prove it or not is irrelevant. Otherwise, we eliminate the supernatural, do we not? We eliminate the supernatural because science can't prove that this is actually a reality. But Jesus himself in the Gospels went back to the story of Jonah and compared his being in the tomb for three days and used illustrations about the fact that Jonah's story is true. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. I listened to, what's that chick that won a Grammy um, that everybody likes? Lauren Daigle, okay? For all the people that love her, good for you. I think her music is extremely shallow and confuses me at times. Don't go by her voice. This morning, I, I, I turned on the radio station, and she was on, oh, I obviously, I've offended some people already. I'm going to get text saying, what is wrong with you? She's just incredible. No, I'm just telling you, I think her music is shallow. This morning, the song was all about her believing, and I think, I remember a pastor saying this years ago. God said, because we were singing a, a song called, God said it and I believe it. And he said, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not if God said it. We have all kinds of argumentation today. The millennials think we shouldn't share our faith. I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. There are some Muslim women in our Congress now, and I'm scared because they're not ashamed to share the fact that they would love to have us sit under Sharia law. It ought to shake us up. We ought to speak out and say we do not agree with what they believe. And if you're in the room and you think I'm not being politically correct, you obviously will not be comfortable here. And everybody wants to blame the pastor. Everybody wants to blame you. It's you. It's your style. It's what you wear. It's how you're so harsh and you're preaching and all these other things because you don't want to face the fact that if God's word says something, it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. Jonah is a true story. Bottom line. It's not a myth or a legend or a saga or a fable or a parable. Jonah is a true story. We date the book back to about 765 B.C. during the days of Jeroboam II that I already shared with you. Number two, it's an important but short story. It's 48 verses total, 48 verses, just over 1,300 words, and you can read it in 15 minutes today and you'll really get blessed. Number three, it's a powerful story. Now, it's, it's powerful because... I think that most of us in the room have taken a ship to, to Tarshish at one point in our life or not. You've gotten on the wrong ship. If I were in a, in a decision-making place this morning, 
this very morning, right now, if I were trying to make a decision whether I should move here, there, or switch my job, or whatever I was trying to do to make a decision, I would want to make sure that I was in the will of God. And that is a difficult thing to understand. I think through the years, many people have said to me, how do you know that you are in the will of God? When you're in the word of God and living holy, the will of God will reveal itself. It will slap you in the face. God in something that you already know does not line up with the word of God, so it's wrong. It's wrong. I will not change my preaching no matter what. Because constantly you're bombarded with this, well, what do you think about homosexuality and what do you think about this and the other thing? I think whatever the Bible thinks. That's what I think. Yes. Whatever the Bible says. Well, you say that's just simplifying it. Yeah, it is. It's simple. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants you to obey his word. Chapter 1 of Jonah, Jonah runs. Chapter 2, Jonah prays. Chapter 3, Jonah obeys. And chapter 4, unfortunately, Jonah pouts. So here, isn't that how it is? You start out, and Jonah is disobeying God, and he knows it. He knows that right off the bat, he decides to disobey God, and so he, gets, he goes on the run from God. He thinks he can escape God. You know that God knows everything about you, everywhere you're at, at every second of time. Thank you, God. Jesus himself said this in the book of Matthew, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish... So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And God gave a specific call in the first chapter of the book of Jonah. He said this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Some of us may have a version of the Bible that says, Arise and go to Nineveh. That's what the Hebrew literally says. The meaning is, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh right now. Get up and go to Nineveh. Okay, so that we can all absorb this, and some of you have already checked me off, you know. Boring. God comes to Jonah and says, you've, you've been a, a good prophet to Jeroboam II. Even though he's an evil king, he is making the country prosper again, but I got a bigger task for you. I want you to go to Nineveh, the arch enemy of the children of Israel. I want you to go to your worst enemy, and I want you to tell them they have 40 days to repent. Do you have any enemies? Because I can guarantee you, if you're doing anything for God, you're going to have enemies. You go, I have a lot of them. Hey, you're not doing anything for God, that's just you. But if you're doing anything for God, you are going to have enemies. Yes, you are. And if you have enemies, you know what it's like if God says to you, I want you to forgive them. I want you to get over it and forgive that person. In fact, I want you to go to that person and I want you to talk to them and show them how much you forgive them. I just want you to have them over for dinner and throw a party and you go, no, no. If I say this word this morning, several people here will understand what I'm saying. Me. 
The rest of you don't need to know. Life gets all about us, our comfort zone, and what people we do hang out with, and who we want to listen to, and who we don't want to listen to. And what we forget is that at any moment, at any second, even today in this place, when you walk out of here, life can turn on a dime. You have no guarantees. Jonah's life was completely turned around when God said, go to Nineveh and preach against it. This is not, go to Nineveh, oh, well, okay, I'm going to go do this my own way. We think, go to Nineveh here, go to Nineveh, yeah, I got to go to Nineveh. Okay, um, you got to understand, this, these were the Assyrians. And to get kind of a picture in your mind of the Middle East, you might want to go home and look at the map because I don't have one to put it on the screen. But if you look at the map, you'll find out that Israel is this like long pencil thing along the Mediterranean Sea. And Jonah's up here, and the Bible says that God wanted him to go over here. Oh, it was actually like this. He wanted him to go over here to an evil place. The capital of the Assyrian Empire was Nineveh. They were the arch enemies of the people of Israel, and they were about 550 miles to the east of them, sort of northeast. And God said, you need to pack up your stuff and go over to Nineveh. But God doesn't want to go to Nineveh. It's scary there. I, I can't go there alone. You've got to send some people with me. I can't go, God. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I, I will, I, I, there's other ways to evangelize. Yeah, I'm just going to do this friendship evangelism. We went through this for years, years ago. Everybody said, we need to soft sell evangelism because it's offending people, and we should just drink with them and party with them and, and do all those kind of things, you know, where you throw the keys on the table and go home, and then we can maybe witness to them afterwards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? But that's our Christianity today. No, I'm not going to Nineveh. You don't get it, God. I'm not going to do this. Someone in this room is in the process of obeying or disobeying God. He is clearly saying something to you. He's telling you to do something, but you're not willing to listen because it doesn't fit in your paradigm. You come to church and all of a sudden you realize, you know what? Sundays are for God. They're not for vacation. Vacations aren't a bad thing, but you can't be gone every Sunday and expect that God's going to bless your life. What we don't realize is that the enemy is slowly attacking us, and little by little, he's chipping away at our character because we're not with God's people. He said, go to Nineveh. It's simple. And go there and preach against it. And then I looked up to see... What was Nineveh actually like in those days? The capital of the Assyrian Empire? It was disgusting and gross how they treated their enemies. If they captured a city or a country, they would do unspeakable atrocities to them. Things like skinning people alive, Charles Manson. Decapitation. Mutilation. Ripping out their tongues. In fact, they had a custom of drilling a hole underneath your chin, up through the roof of your mouth, and putting a hook on there and dragging you around like dogs and putting you in cages that you couldn't even stand up. That wasn't exactly the place that I'd want to spend vacation. 
obviously none of us would want to go. We'd be in the same shape as he was. Because all of us have this feeling that our rights are being violated and we should run. See, America's the freedom capital of the world. And I love what Trump tweeted recently. He said, a nation is not a nation when it doesn't have borders. It is to keep the bad people out. And not all people that want to come here are bad. The point is this. If we're going to exist as a nation, we must understand our sovereignty, our independence, and what our forefathers actually fought for. They fought for this. They fought for freedom of religion. That's why they came and many died on the way over here in the ships. They fought for freedom and we're up here dilly-dallying around. Oh, don't we look pretty today? Especially against this amazing new backdrop that we made this week. This makes us look so much better. It's the bait to get you in the room that I can decapitate you, put a hook up through the roof of your mouth and lead you around like a dog. Because that's why some people are going to go home. He thinks he's funny saying that, but that's exactly what he's doing. Because I'm always offended. You send me notes where you're offended about things, and I'm thinking, the Bible clearly says this, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Get over it. Have you ever heard me say that before? Get over it. Uh, oh, man, did I offend? Oh, my gosh, I just offended a whole bunch of people that already had it planned, what they were going to write me as soon as the service was over. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't say no, because you know it's true. I love that black dude preacher. He's an evangelist, actually. Well, I'm going to that church, because he says it the way it is. There's always someone offended. You're already offended. Did you ever stop to think that maybe you're offended because you're doing something you should not be doing or you're not doing something like going and you should be going? You won't sign those cards. You think that's manipulation and a trick. I'm not signing that. That's just a manipulative trick. I'm not being, bu I'm not being bullied into any of this stuff. I got it all figured out. He's just trying to put a hook in our mouth. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to make all of us understand this. If God tells you to do it, you better do it. If God's says, word says this is true, you better believe it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, but you should believe it for your own well-being. And then you get to verse 3, and it says that he ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Well, to totally understand the picture here, you've got to understand the, the, the idiocracy of the whole thing. Are you still with me? This is the idiocracy. Nineveh is 550 miles northeast over here, and he goes from where he's at down to Joppa, which is a sea port, to get on a ship to go to Tarshish, which is on the other side of Spain, some 2,500 miles away. Now, I have my own speculation about why he did this. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I have some ideas even though that that was only 550 miles, and think about traveling 550 miles in his day by foot or on the back of a donkey or something, but he, that, that would take 
a month maybe. But going to Tarshish in a ship, if you've never been on the Mediterranean Sea, you will not understand this very well. But we actually were blessed to take a cruise and go to the Holy Land and Egypt and a bunch of other places. And we were on the Mediterranean Sea. And I could distinctly remember <clears throat> that night waking up in our, our balcony room because the waves were coming clear up to the 10th floor. And the ship was just bobbing. And this was a huge cruise ship bobbing up and down. And I just love stuff like this. And Becky said, get back in bed. And I opened the slider. And she goes, don't go out there. Good thing I was walking with God. But then I know there would have been a fish out there to swallow me probably. Don't understand the Mediterranean Sea. It could, a storm could come up instantly and you're caught in it. And so what we have is we have Jonah saying, I am not going to deal with my enemies. I'm not going to deal with that. They should be punished. This is our culture today. I will talk to him after he gets punished. I'm not speaking to her until she grovels in the mud and crawls to my table and begs forgiveness of me. Really? Is that what the scripture teaches? Really? We don't want to deal with that. We think it's okay that there are enemies because it's justified in our mind that they did something that either violates your rights or violates God's word. And so you don't have to make things right. And let me just say this to every one of us, including me in here, it never works. You're miserable when you don't do what God tells you to do because you know right now God is telling you you need to go and make things right. Yes, you do. You need to make things right. And so Jonah, it says in verse 3, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He's a prophet of God. He's the prophet of God. Did you hear that? He's the one prophet to Jeroboam II, the king of Israel, the north of northern Israel. He's the prophet. He's the guy that God has called to do this. Nobody wants to be a prophet. And by the way, the Bible says the prophet is not well received in his own town. Why? Because you're human. Preachers are human. Prophets are human. They're only required by God to say what God tells them to say. And I'm, I'm telling you straight up right now, the last three weeks we've had 14 people accept Christ because I realize I need to say what God's telling me to say. Not what I want to say. What God's telling me to say. It happened last week again. You all left the room. I shared that a girl had, had texted me and said, she, she, that she was in an abusive situation and, and, a, and a family in our church is very, very close to her. And after the service was over, I was talking to that family and, and the girl came up to the front and long story short is she accepted Christ. As a teenager, she accepted Christ because he, Jesus is the answer. Oh yeah, you can make it through dysfunction. You can make it through all these things here in your life if you understand that the real answer to every need and every question that I have is God and his word. Are you still with me? That's the answer. Jonah didn't like the answer. He didn't like the request from God. And so it says, he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the, that port. He had to realize he was going to be on that ship for months. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Are you ever, are you ever laying in your bed at night 
being a child of God and thinking, why am I so unhappy, God? Why am I so unsettled? Will I ever get through this? Why does it seem like my prayers aren't getting answered? God, why, why, why do I just feel like I, I am just floundering? Nothing is going on. And, and, and we don't like the answer. The answer is come back to Jesus. Come back to God. Obey the Lord. He went down. He went down into the, the ship, down to Joppa, first of all. It says get get to Joppa, Jonah had to go down to the seacoast to the port of Joppa. Second, by going to Joppa, he was going down spiritually. So there's four things that happened. He went down to Joppa in verse 3. He went down into the hold or the lower level of the ship in verse 4. He went down into the sea in verse 15, and then he went down into the belly of the great fish. And I can only imagine this. He's down in the bottom of the boat, into the hold of the boat, and he's there's a terrible storm, and he's beginning to worry about whether it's because of him. Wow. Now, I'm, I didn't leave for Vietnam last Monday. <laughs> My former secretary, Karen Foote, came to give me a hug afterwards and said, goodbye, have a good time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you said you're leaving tomorrow for Vietnam. I did. Here I am. Actually, two weeks from tomorrow, we're leaving for Vietnam, and I will confess, I will confess, I hate the belly of the plane. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the belly of the whale. I have confessed more sin at 38,000 feet. I have confessed I've almost been saved over again. At 38,000 feet. I should write a book. Saved at 38,000 feet. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. The, the, the plane will start shaking and stuff. And I'll go, oh, Jesus. Start speaking in tongues. I've confessed sin I didn't even commit. No kidding. God, I'm sweating. I actually have called. I've, I've, been, a, I've been on so many trips. I've, I've flown hundreds of times. I've actually gone back to the back of the plane where the stewardesses have their little ghetto thing going on back there or down in the belly of the plane where they sit. Well, I, I've gone back there and I said, does this, you know, like, um, is this like an unusually turbulent flight? And they look at you like, have you lost your mind? Go sit down. Like, they fly all the time. So what I've done, oh, God, God knows I'm preparing myself right now. Ray, Ray tells me, don't watch any more of those plane videos where they crash. <laughs> I've been watching all those again, preparing myself for the trip, you know. And, oh, my gosh. It's insane. So this is this time I'm preparing myself in a different way. When I drive down the road now, I think the plane is never this shaky. I hold a cup of water or coffee in my car, and it shakes all over, and I go, I'm good on the plane. It doesn't shake like that. See, I convince myself that I'll be okay, when in reality, I should just know God is in control. Is he not? 
were fretting and worrying over nothing. It's not a coincidence that he went down to Joppa, went down into the hold of the ship and down into the sea and down into the belly of the great fish. It's a statement about what happens when we disobey God. If there's anything I have learned in all these years of being a pastor, it's that once you start the downward movement, it doesn't want to stop. It just keeps going down till you're literally depressed until you literally are wondering what in the world is going on and you can't even imagine where God is like where are you God and I have to ask myself well why did the reluctant prophet Jonah actually run from God he was a prophet because he didn't like what God was telling him to do and he was bitter toward the people of Nineveh he actually wanted them this is, this is our culture in West Michigan. We actually want other people to suffer. Mm-hmm. She should suffer. Yes, she should. I passed her in my car the other day, and she didn't even look over at me. And I swear that her hand was positioned in such a way where, you know what I'm saying? I'm positive. Either that or she has a problem with a certain finger. We laugh. But it's interesting how we draw all of this stuff into our situation. He wasn't about to go to Nineveh. He didn't think that God should care about the people of Nineveh. He thought they should suffer. He didn't want them to repent because he would would have to have loved them. He didn't want a God who loved people like that. People should repent. And I'm here to say this this morning from personal witness and testimony of this. God is a God of amazing grace or we would all be dead. Yes or no? We would all be dead. And, and I, I do believe this is true, and I know people will say, well, you're just trying to cop out so you can let certain people groups get by with their sin. I think sin is sin is sin is sin. And we all have sinned. Sin is sin is sin is sin. My sin is just as bad as your sin. That's why we ought to be willing to keep short accounts and just say, I'm really sorry. I was, I, I'm sorry I did that. I was acting like a jerk. I don't think we should run around expecting people to repent. And I, I, I deal with this all the time because right now I'm being, my head is being held in a noose by people that demanding that I do a certain thing or they will not go here. They will not go here if I don't do this thing publicly from this place right up here. And this is how I feel. I am not God. God has to speak to people. I am the messenger of God, but I'm not God to tell certain people what to do. Oh, my gosh. All of us legalists, all of us from our legalistic backgrounds, love to prop ourselves up by making someone else's sin look better or worse than ours, excuse me. Worse than ours. That's what we do. That doesn't mean that we just let it go. We should talk to our friends. We should talk to people and say, hey, bro, I don't know which direction you're going, but I care about you. I want to be here for you. I like the way Moses put it last night. When you texted me back, you said, love the hell out of them. Is that, that the truth? Love wins, hate doesn't. Nobody wants more hate 
Nobody, it's, it's like we can, we can accept the fact that these people who have been drug addicts and these homosexuals and these people over here and these people, they're, they're terrible, sinful body groups. We should forgive them. We don't need them to get up and publicly repent in front of everybody. But we should go after those Christians. We ought to be after the Christians. The, the lesson proves something very powerful. God is a God of grace even to those who are in ministry and serve the Lord. They are humans. You are human. When we decide to disobey God, there's always a boat going to that direction. Do you know that? Well, this is, this is us today. We just know it's God's will that we move to Hollywood. We put a fleece out there. Do you know what? I couldn't sleep last night because all I saw was Hollywood Boulevard stars everywhere. It's a sign. Yes, it's a sign. I just saw stars with movie stars' names on it. We're supposed to move to Hollywood. And by the way, have you, can you remember how that when people drive to California, you end up on a cliff overlooking the ocean? And I had a dream about that. I love to surf. I know God is calling me to go to California. Wow. You don't think, honestly, that Jonah wasn't trying to justify what he was doing? That there weren't things going through his mind like this? God's actually calling me to Tarshish, not Nineveh. God's calling me. I know it's a longer trip. Why would I take a longer route if I wasn't in the will of God? i got to go 2,500 miles to the other side of the southern part of Spain. It, it must be the will of God because I'm willing to sacrifice. No, you're a coward. You won't go where God told you to go. They need the Lord in Tarshish, too. That's another one. I, I've prayed about it, and I, I know this is God's will. Or look at the circumstances. I had the money. I was reading. This is what one commentator said I told my wife. It was interesting. He said, herein lies the problem nowadays. When you have money, you don't need God. You can buy a ticket. You've got the money. You can do pretty much whatever you want. Have you noticed how many people get away from God and go down, 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 and they're too proud to come back to church, but they are desperate for God? Ever been desperate for God? You ever been in a position where you had no idea what the outcome would be and God was putting you in a position where you got to trust God? Somebody in the room this morning needs to trust God. And by the way, Stuart Wright wrote to me and said he'd been off work there for a few months, weren't you, Stuart? He went back to work a few weeks ago, but legitimately, they need to pay some back rent. He, and he said he was weeping as he wrote this, and I just think, you are something else, Stuart. He said, would the church be interested in helping me? It didn't take one second to figure that out. He said, I promise I will pay it back. Is that not what the body of Christ is for? It was not some fabricated story that he made to get money. It was a legitimate, true, real need. They don't live high off the hog. They don't live in a fancy place. They barely make it. I've seen them walking down Chicago Drive to come to church in the summer. Walking, not just because it was pretty. They didn't have any money. 
Some people get set back with physical things that they don't have the money to pay the bills. That is why we have the church. We take care of each other. That's what the church is for. I could, I could picture Jonah saying, I love Nineveh, but I'm just not the right person to reach these people. I just feel like going to Tarshish. It's the right thing for me. And I wrote this in my notes. Whenever we decide to disobey, we can always find an excuse. Huh? Well, you say, I gave that up. I, I, I gave that to God. I knew God was telling me to give that thing up. But you now have taken it back. As we stand back and look at the story, a question naturally arises. How far will God let us go? How far? Why doesn't he stop us sooner? And my answer is this. Part of his judgment is not to stop us. Did you hear that? Are you looking at it on the screen? There's a man in this room that needs to understand God. God will let you do whatever you really want to do. Are you with me? Lady, ma'am, wife, mother, God will let you do whatever it is you really want to do. Just be ready for where that's going to take you. Just be ready. He could have arranged things so the ship went in a different port. He could have arranged things so that the ship had no room for Jonah. God could have arranged things so that a thief robbed Jonah of his money. But God let him do it. I'll say this right now. Thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you let us screw up. Because then we, we need you. Then we're desperate. The best place to be is desperate. Romans talks about this type of thing. It says in Romans 1 that God gave them over to their reprobate thinking. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's worse than anyone else because he now understands God. There's a man sitting in the room who knows to do right and he's purposely not doing it. And he's thinking he's getting by with it, but if he's born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, I can make you a promise. He is not. You and I are not. We're fooling ourselves. See, it's the patience of God that allows us to run away. It's the wisdom of God that allows, provides the ship. It's the providence of God that sends the storm, and it's the kindness of God that sends the great fish. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. We're in the bottom of the ship. The storm that's raging outside is because of us. And everyone in the boat is, is nervous about what's going down, and so they start throwing out all their shipment, and they get it all thrown out, and the, the ship is still ready to fall apart, literally, when Jonah comes up and says, I already know what the answer is. Okay, I'm, I'm asking a legitimate question of everyone in the room, including myself. What secret sin needs to go? What hidden thing is your Nineveh? What person are you unforgiving toward? Are you in a ship that is headed for disaster? 
And you know what? I mean, I write to people every week and say this. You're, you're going down, man. And you're not just going down. You're taking your marriage down. You're taking your kids down. You are changing the destiny of your entire family by your decisions that you willfully are making, thinking no one is looking, but God is. Why didn't God stop me already? Why hasn't God stopped me, Pastor? Why hasn't he stopped me? It's because God loves you. He wants you to be so desperate for him that you get to the very bottom, which I've been there and I know this. It's ravaging. It's, it's, it's desolate. It's alone. It's dark. It's, it's horrible. Walking with God and being holy in your life and keeping your mind clean is the key to joy. You agree? Is it not the key? Holiness produces peace. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing offends them. You will find yourself getting over being offended all the time. You'll find yourself being more loving because you're desperate and you don't have anybody. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? Can anybody relate to this? God is stripping things out of your life because he loves you and he wants you to see that he desperately cares about you. And so he will let you go through the valley of the shadow of death and he will let you go through experiencing wealth which will destroy you. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man but the end leads to death. Just a couple final thoughts here. Number one, every step out of the will of God is a downward step. Jesus had more to say about greed than any other subject in the New Testament, more than about heaven and hell. If you're after greed and money, you're on a downward step. No one ever disobeyed God and went up. You only go down, down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the seal, down on the belly of the fish. Because God is an amazing God of grace. There's always a fish there. But it's got to be when you're so desperate and so far from God that the fish swallows you and, and you're, you're inside the belly thinking to myself, oh, the grace of God. I was going to sing, your grace amazes me because it does every day. It does every day. It does to me every day. I think to myself, your grace still amazes me. Still amazes me, God. You're always after me. You, you always take care of me. You love me. Can you feel the Spirit of God this moment reaching to you with his grace and saying, but I still love you. I don't care how far you get away. I still love you. Number two, Satan, we get away quickly, but we recover slowly. Whew. It's easy to start going down, and we get away really fast, and we wonder what happened and how did I get here. But we recover very slowly. And thirdly, Satan can work through circumstances just like God can. Satan has his ships, and he always has room on his ships. Oh, yes, he does. He can make disobedience look good by means of favorable circumstances. I am, I am guaranteeing you this morning, I will promise you Jonah was sure he was doing the right thing. He was standing against the Assyrians. And God said, I can take care of the Assyrians. It's you I'm worried about. You think I need you. Mm -hmm. 
You think I need you. And I'm not saying that he's unloving in this way, but I think God looks at us and says, I want to use you. I really don't need you. I can raise somebody else up, but I love you. Pour down your love right now, Holy Spirit, to every person in this room, because it is your love that will transform us. It is renewing our mind through the word of God, refreshing our mind that the best times in our life have been those that we are the closest to God and his word. Am I right in saying that? Everyone, am I right? I know that I am right for myself personally. I got up this morning, went in the kitchen, and opened the word of God, and I just felt like, God, I I mean, I'm in a cry all the time, and I don't have any crying today, thank you. The Duffies know that I sing it. I did sing a little bit. Shoot. I wasn't going to do any of those things today. But I am a crybaby. I don't have any cry in me today. I just have this. God, you are so amazing. I don't even know what to do. I shouldn't even be here. You are so amazing. Your love comes in my house and goes through the rooms. Your love is amazing. Your love brought my son-in-law to church today. I know that's why my wife was crying over there. Have you given up? Have you? Have you just given up? You just want the easy ship out of there? It is, it, is, it is a moment of surrender because the devil has you thinking that you're mediocrity and you're actually knowing that you're going the wrong direction. You'll be okay, but you won't. The ship is going to shipwreck soon. That is for a man in this room. Your life is on the verge of shipwreck. You think it'll only take you down? It's going to take everybody on that ship with you because Fellowship is the people you hang with. And there are a lot of fellows in your ship that you're going to take out because of your disobedience. Because you convince yourself that you're okay to live in this condition, in this mediocrity. You can be mad at pastor because he has sins. You can bring up, you can bring all of those things up and remind other people, well, he has sins too, so that means I don't have to listen to him. I am only the person that God has told is supposed to be the spokesperson. Only that person. I'm as desperate as you are for God. Close your eyes a moment. Even then. I listened to that song the last couple of weeks and it just, it rocked my soul. Oh God, our great and gracious and glorious King who is in the room with us this moment, your spirit is salve to our souls. It is literally refreshing ointment to our souls. Someone in the room is headed to Tarshish instead of doing what they know they should do. And you want them to change course because you love them. Spirit of God work this morning. I would like to ask a question, first of all, because every week now we've had people come to Christ. You're in the room. You're not even positive. You will go to heaven once you pass out of this life. Have no idea whether you will go or not, but you want to know. Pray for me, Pastor. Raise your hand. Anyone in the room? Every week now we've had people come to Christ. Anyone in the room? Because I have to look around a moment. 
Anybody in the room? I, I'm not sure, Pastor. I, I, I was raised, you know, thinking this is what I do to go to heaven, but I'm not sure. I'm not absolutely certain, and you have to be certain. Anybody in the room this morning? Many times it happens after church is over. I don't want anybody to look around because this is a very personal thing. Kind of lost. Not lost salvation-wise, but you're kind of lost as far as where to go. Which direction? There are signs that you're going down. But you don't want to be premature and you don't want to admit that there are some signs that I'm, I'm headed in the wrong direction. But, but I don't need to admit them to you. I just admit them to God. So, so I, I honestly suggest you do that this moment. But if you know that you have been headed the wrong direction and God has spoken to you about adjusting the direction this morning, raise your hand. Raise your hand, several people. Put it up. Yeah, I think, I think I've been going in the wrong direction, but, and I need prayer. I'm not asking you to come up here. I'm not asking you to stand up. I'm not asking for everybody to look at you. I'm just, anybody else? Yes, you can put them down. Anybody else that wants to join these people? There needs to be an adjustment in my direction. Spirit of the living God, fall on us fresh. As we go through this week, we need you. We're desperate for you, Lord. I want to play a song before we leave this morning because um, I, th I think it pretty much says this. You need to burn the ships. Burn those ships so you cannot go back. You know what that means? Get rid of the garbage that's taking you out. Burn the ships. Just before we leave, I want you to look at the screen. You can flip off these lights.
flare into the night Say a prayer, turn the tide Dry your tears and wave goodbye Step into a new day Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, you would give us the authority and the power and the strength and the guidance as we step into a new day in a new direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, um, you need to sign up for the ladies' retreat by this Wednesday if you're going. We have a really good group of ladies going. And then tomorrow night, guys, we'll